Today, uh, I've titled the talk, uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know, mostly just because I thought it was funny. And also there's a podcast I like that's called that, so I stole it. Um, but basically today, all we're gonna talk about, all we're gonna talk about, today what we're gonna talk about is uh, prayer. Uh, we're gonna talk about coming to mass. We're gonna talk about Sunday, and then I'll finish up by talking about what a catechumen is, because um, that's a fun word. So we'll start with prayer. Um, and prayer, there's like all these different definitions for prayer. And when I looked at the sources that I've been using to put these things together, um, basically all they did was they took a bunch of saints and they said, here's what they said prayer was. And so I thought, that's a pretty great idea. I'm going to do that too. So St. John Damascene, he would have been... Ninth century, so in the 800s, I think, um, he said, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. St. Therese of Lisieux, who, I don't know what year she was. She was in France at some time in the last 500 years. I should really know. A lot of people really like her. Um, I, I don't... Um, her writing doesn't like affect me like it does some others, but a lot of people actually really like her. Um, she's got the name of the little flower. If you ever hear someone referred to as the little flower, they're talking about this lady. Um, she said, for me, prayer is a surge of the heart, a simple look toward heaven. Um, St. Augustine, so he's fourth century, um, so the 300s, he said, true prayer is nothing but love. Um, and there's a couple other ones in there. But then I thought, well, they've given their definitions, so I'll give you mine. <laughs> if I had to define prayer, I would call it giving time to God. Just giving God some time and spending that time with him and trying to uh, stop distracting ourselves with other stuff for just a while. And um, it's deceptively hard to do, <laughs> to get all those distractions out of there. But it is important um, so, uh, again, going back to kind of the quoting the saints. So St. Francis de Sales, who I think he was 16th or 17th century, he said that every one of us needs half an hour of prayer each day, except when we are busy. Then we need an hour. <laughs> I thought that was a fun quote. Um, and Mother Teresa is kind of famous for uh, spending, I think it was two hours almost every single day praying, and someone asked her, um, Mother, how do you find time to pray so much every day uh, when you have all of these other things that you have to do? And she says, if I didn't pray, I wouldn't have time to do all those other things. So it's kind of this weird thing um, where if you make time for prayer, stuff just kind of the time is not an issue, basically. Um, there's this principle that God is never outdone in generosity. So if we give him some time, he's going to make sure we got time for all that other stuff we need to do. Um, there's this great story of uh, another saint, St. Isidore the farmer. And um, it does actually have something to do with prayer. So this is a squirrel I'm going to follow. <laughs> so um, St. Isidore the farmer um, I think it was in Spain is where he lived. I can't quite remember. But 
he was a very devoted Catholic, but he worked as a farmhand on, on this guy's farm. And the, the owner of the property was getting quite upset because they, they found that this guy was spending time in prayer every day. He was going to mass every day. He was walking down to the church and walking back. And, and the farmer said, you need to get your work done. And, you know, he's like, okay. Um, and so uh, later on, they found him like, while he was praying or whatever, they said angels were plowing the field. It's like, oh, okay. But all I know is the work got done somehow. Um, and this guy spent the time to pray. I'm not telling that story very well, but it's like a really good one. So just Google Isidore the farmer and you'll find it. Um, he's really popular in Kansas for, for some reason, you know, um, like up in uh, Marion County at uh, St. John Napomacene Church in Pilsen. Um, <clears throat> I only know that because I've been there a bunch of times because that's the church that Father Capon came from. And um, he's the priest who uh, died in the prison camp in Korea that we're trying to get named a saint. And <clears throat> in that church, they have, um, you know, all their, their normal stuff, but over on the side. So like, if you compare it to our church, there's a lot of similarities, but like over on the altar where Mary is, um, they have a different saint over there, um, but then they've got like a little tiny statue of St. Isidore the farmer, and I think that's the most popular thing in that church, let's be honest. So, um, so he's a really popular saint in Kansas but because um, of the farmers, um, but he has that really great story of like spending that time in prayer never affected his ability to get what he needed done, um, and that's kind of how things go. Um, and so... Like the definition, there's not much to it. Um, the why is simply because we need it. Um, and with prayer, it's really hard to get any deeper on those two answers um, because it looks different for everybody. But what we can do is talk about different types of prayer and different ways of praying. Um, so there's usually five different goals we might have when we're praying. Um, one of them is called adoration. So just spending time with the Lord because he's cool. Like, that's it. It's like, you're cool. I'm going to spend time with you. And honestly, we do that with friends, right? We do that um, with people we care about. We just spend time with them because we enjoy spending time with them. Um, there's prayer of petition, so that's asking the Lord for stuff that I need, right? Um, which is a totally normal and okay thing to do. Again, we ask people we know for stuff, so we can ask the Lord for things. Um, there's prayer of intercession, and this is prayer where we are asking for something for someone else, usually. Um, so, uh, say... We've got a, uh, I just visited a lady last night in the hospital. Her name is Bonnie and she had surgery this morning. And so um, if I were to ask some people here in the parish to pray for her that she had a successful surgery and that the recovery goes well, that would be asking for prayers of intercession. And, um, excuse me, <coughs> this is a lot of what we ask the saints to do. Um, so when we go to prayer, 
if we ask for assistance from the saints, a lot of time what we're actually doing is we're praying for their intercession um, because we believe the saints are still alive and so they can still help us and they can still pray for us. So like we'd ask our friends who are living to help us and pray for us. So we just ask the saints to do it too. Um, we've got more friends as Catholics, you know, that's how we like to see it. Um, but that's um, a prayer of intercession. There's also prayers of thanksgiving. Um, that one's really kind of self-explanatory, um, just where we go to the Lord and say thank you for some gift or benefit we've received. And then there's prayers of praise, which are kind of like thanksgiving and adoration, but mixed together. And that's like, that one's the hardest one for me to define and, and uh, give an image to, but it's essentially what we're doing at Mass a lot of times, is we're saying, we praise you, Lord. And it's like, what does that mean? It's saying, I mean, I praise you, Lord. <laughs> um, I wish I could define it a little more solidly for you than that. But um, that prayer of praise is kind of that fifth sort of prayer. Um, and every other kind of prayer that we make can kind of be explained as one of those five types. Um, and then there's four different, like, forms of prayer. So we can pray vocally, so out loud, saying a prayer, right? That's a great way to pray, and it's how people have been praying for thousands of years, right? It's not going out of style anytime soon. Um, there's also meditative prayer, and in meditative prayer, what we do is we engage our mind um, and think about something, um, so we'll think about something we read in the Bible, for example, a lot of times. And that particular kind of meditative prayer even has a special name for it because we're doing it with the Bible and it's called Lexio Divina, but that's more just a specific name for that. But um, we can take something and sit with it in our minds and pray with it. And we can also... Um, use other tools like our imaginations. Um, that's a big part of um, many people's meditative prayer is um, say you take the um, Sermon on the Mount, for example, in the Bible. That's Matthew chapters four through six. And if you really want to pray with it, one of the things you could do is you can read through it. You probably don't want to read through the whole thing and try and pray with it because it's a lot but read a section of it, but then imagine yourself on the mountain listening to Jesus give that talk, that sermon, whatever we want to call it, right? Or the, one of the various feeding miracles we see in the Bible. Imagine yourself in the crowd, and what would it be like when you see these kids with just a few loaves of bread and some fish go up, and he's like, yeah, have them sit down. I got this, you know? <laughs> You'd be like, what is going on here? And then they show up with all this food that came from these five loaves of bread. I mean, it would be incredible, right? Um, and so those are the kind of way, like, we can pray with those things by imagining ourselves in the scene, um, putting ourselves in that place. And so that's, that's this kind of meditative prayer, one of the, the ways we can meditate um, and pray. Um, and they're really good. Um, and then there's another type of prayer called contemplative prayer. And that is 
essentially, well, it's complicated because there's a couple different ways people define it, but essentially it's focusing on like a single word or a single image and focusing on that only so that it kind of gets the other stuff out of our mind. Um, and so perhaps just like the name Jesus and keeping that in our head and anytime anything else kind of comes up, we just uh, slowly and gently remind ourselves of the name Jesus until that's all we're thinking about. Um, and that can lead to some very deep and interesting prayer experiences too. Um, and so, um, so that's kind of what contemplative prayer is. There's like whole groups of people who do that stuff. Um, my parents did that for a while. Um, there was this group of people who did contemplative prayer kind of like that. And um, it was interesting what they told me about it. So, um, but, but there's these different types of prayer and each of us is gonna gravitate towards one or two kinds usually. Like um, every person spends that time with God differently and that's a good thing. Um, if everybody was exactly the same, this would be a really boring church, you know? It would be easier to deal with, but way too boring. Um, and so we have various places we can, uh, we can start our prayer. So especially with vocal prayer, we have what we, are, uh, we call rote prayers. Uh, that's just stuff we memorize, essentially, that we know. And I'm gonna have to get you guys a list of the good stuff that everybody knows because you should know them because if you don't, everybody's gonna be like, what, who taught you your Catholic stuff? Because they didn't do a very good job and I don't wanna be the guy who didn't do a very good job. <laughs> so when I say rote prayer though, what I'm talking about is something like the Our Father, right? Um, just a prayer that we all know. Um, some other prayers that are considered rote prayers for Catholics are the Hail Mary prayer, which basically all comes out of scripture. It just comes from like five different places in scripture. Um, and then, so Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, comes from the Annunciation. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, comes from the visitation, uh, the, the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Um, that does not really come from scripture. That comes from the Black Plague. Um, so this prayer was, and it might've been in there before that, but that particular part of it was added um, when, you know, two thirds of the people in Europe died from this plague. They thought we needed some more prayers and Mary's pretty good. So we're gonna add some stuff to her prayer because we need some help right now and it's stuck and we like that prayer. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of how that prayer was formed over time. Um, it might've been an earlier plague where that came from. I know it came from a plague and I know it was one of the really, really bad ones. I think it was the Black Plague. I might be getting it confused with something else. No, that would have been afterwards. Um, the prayer is definitely older than that. Yeah. I might be getting my plagues mixed up, but I'm pretty sure that's where the end of it came from. It might be in scripture. 
I don't think it is. Sorry, that's a rabbit hole I didn't need to go down. Um, then there's what we call the glory be. Uh, so that's just simply glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It's that long, short, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's just that prayer of praise to God. Um, there's a prayer to the guardian angel. We'll talk about angels sometime. It'll be fun. Angels are cool. Um, and uh, so that's one of the prayer most Catholics know. And then there's a few others that I'll give you guys that I like. Um, but essentially, anytime we talk about a rote prayer, it's a prayer that a lot of people have memorized um, that's been written down, that we just say for ourselves. And they're really great because they can express things we don't know we need to express. Um, and also, I've found that there's particular prayers that different people gravitate towards, right? So when I was a little kid, I always liked the uh, prayer to the guardian angel because it was short. Um, and that's how my brain worked when I was a little kid. And then I got really annoyed because when we did our family prayers, my brother kept stealing it from me. So I had to find a new one, <laughs> right? So after that, I liked the glory be. I found my other short prayer, you know. Um, but now I like one especially that's called the Memorare, which is a, a Marian prayer. Um, and that'll be on the list of stuff I give you because it's kind of long and, and all that. Um, but then other places we can find prayer, um, are especially scripture. So in the Old Testament, there's the book of Psalms. Every single psalm is a prayer. Um, the, the book of Psalms is essentially the Jewish book of prayers. Um, uh, each of those psalms is considered a prayer that Jesus would have prayed at some point, um, which kind of gives them even more heft. And that's why, uh, especially in church, you'll notice the psalms are kind of all over the place. Um, we pray them specifically at Mass when we have um, in between the readings the responsorial psalm, uh, which sometimes isn't a psalm, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> It'll just confuse you. Um, but we, we have them all over uh, the stuff in the church because they are such ancient and good prayers. And then in the New Testament, we find um, amazing things to pray with. Um, but the, the biggest and most important prayer to come out of the New Testament is the Our Father. That's where we get it, is the New Testament. Um, so when you pray the Our Father, you're praying with Scripture. Congrats. Um, and then you have extemporaneous prayer or... There's other names for it. That's the word that came into my head when I was trying to put this together. That's just when we're telling the Lord what's on our mind. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's bad, depending on what's on our mind, right? Like, if I'm having a really rough time, I just tell him that, you know? Um, if I'm having a great day, I thank him for that. So um, those kinds of prayers, like, as Catholics were, um, like Catholics are not actually really good at that kind of praying. Um, we really, really like those memorized prayers. We really, really like to go find something in Scripture and pray with that. But we're not nearly as comfortable <clears throat> at going and finding that quiet place, calming down our mind, and then just telling the Lord, what's been going on and asking him for help or thanking him for it or whatever. Um, and, and so um, 
that's something I encourage people to do a lot, um, especially uh, when they come to confession, which is something I'll talk to you guys about um, another time too. If, if they're struggling with something um, and um, like it's really apparent to me where it's coming from, you know, or even if it's not, sometimes I'll just say, go and find yourself a quiet place and just tell God, like, I'm really struggling with this and I need help. And they're like, oh. I said, yeah, just spend five minutes a day doing that and give it some time and see what happens. And it's amazing what can happen with just five minutes a day of doing something like that. Um, because now we let God into the situation. We, we ask for his help. Um, so those kind of extemporaneous or, or just prayers of the heart um, are, are really good. Um, there's another kind of prayer I forgot to mention. There's the, the saints call it daggers to heaven, some of them. Um, and there's an old name for them that we don't really use a whole lot anymore. Um, they're called ejaculatory prayers because they're just short ones that you say really quickly. Um, and so it's like, Jesus, I love you would be an example of one of them. Um, but I like the other name for him, Daggers to Heaven. One of the saints called it that. That might have been from Therese of Lisieux. So I like some of her stuff. <laughs> um, anyway, so those short little ones are great too um, because those are the ones we can kind of keep on our mind throughout the day. Um, okay, and then there's Mary. All right. As Catholics, we like to pray to Mary. And that doesn't mean we're worshiping Mary. And I'll spend more time on this later, but it's good to just bring it up now, <laughs> acknowledge that, um, because there is a lot of criticism amongst non-Catholic Christians over how much Catholics love Mary. And we love her because she's Jesus's mother. And he gave us her as our own mother when he was on the cross. Um, and so we treat her like we would treat a mom, essentially. Um, and the fact that she's in heaven and not on earth doesn't stop us from asking her for help, right? And so, so yeah, we pray to Mary, but we don't worship her. There's a difference. Um, and that brings me to my next point is the mass, right? So the mass is a form of prayer, but it's also worship. When we pray, it's not usually worship. Um, worship, if you were here when I talked about what makes Christianity different than all those other religions, um, worship is something kind of different than just basic prayer. Of course, my prayer keeps changing. Um, so uh, for Catholics, when we come to Mass, that's when we worship God. And... Um, the other churches that are kind of in union with our church or who have apostolic heritage also have something like the mass, but they might call it something different. So the Orthodox will call it the divine liturgies or the divine mysteries or something like that. Um, there's this group of uh, ca uh, in union with the Catholic church called the Syro Malabars. Um, and I know about them because some of their priests were going to the same seminary, me, seminary as me, and they call it kerbana, which is an Aramaic word that means offering, um, which is kind of cool. I just like learning fun words in other languages. Um, 
anyways, um, so if you, I think all of you guys have been to a mass, right? Yeah, so what's going on there is obviously quite different than what we do outside of church, right? Um, and so there's, what it is, is it's a sacrificial banquet. And so both of those aspects are important, right? Um, so there is a sacrifice and there is a communal meal. And it's preceded by this recounting of how God has interacted with his people. So that's what those movements are in mass is we come in and we gather together and we focus ourselves and we recognize we need God, right? So if you notice at the beginning, we're really focused on Lord, have mercy on us, right? Lord, we've sinned, we need your help, that stuff. And then we kind of simmer down a little bit. Um, sometimes we sing the Gloria, which is a hymn of praise. Um, you know, one of that, that, that praise prayer, right? Um, and then everybody sits down and we listen to some scripture because scripture is how God has acted throughout history. And the ways that God acts through history are the most important things that have ever happened. And so we want to know about them. So we listen to scripture. Um, and then we sing a psalm, and then we listen to more scripture, because it's good, and the more the merrier, right? Uh, it's like garlic, you know, the more the better. <laughs> then we sing the Alleluia, or in Lent we sing something else. Um, and then we hear the gospel, so something from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because those are not just God's message to us, but it's the actions of God while he was physically present on this earth, um, which are the most important sorts of things we will want to know. And then, um, hopefully, if your priest is any good, he'll give you a decent homily that helps you apply those readings to your own life or perhaps understand them better. Um, <clears throat> if you heard mine today, it was a little long, but that was because I, I had a lot I needed to say, you know, um, so they can be short or long. But that whole first half of it is recognizing how God acts through history and how he wants to invite us into action now. And then it kind of shifts after that. So after that, we say the creed, uh, the Nicene-Constantinople creed, um, which I mentioned a few times back, um, as a statement of belief. And this is the time when, um, I don't know when we stopped doing it, but at some point in history, um, this is, well, for at least in the early church, this is when they would kick all the non-Catholics out. Um, so if you weren't Catholic, it was time to go when we said the creed. Because um, if you don't believe this stuff, this next part won't make any sense at all. <laughs> okay? Um, and so, but they literally had um, a ministry called Porter and the porters were the doormen, right? Like the, the word porter comes from like what we called the guys who watched the doors at church, you know? Um, and, and so um, they would also watch the doors and uh, if the government was coming, they'd uh, shut and lock the doors so they couldn't like come in and kill everybody because the church was being persecuted at first, right? So they had a lot of jobs, but um, we now call them ushers. 
<laughs> you know, they don't quite have uh, the same exact responsibility as they used to, but um, like that was literally a thing. So you would have the non-Catholics go out at that creed. And then after the creed, we bring what is called the prayers of the faithful. So that's that prayer of intercession. We're asking the Lord to assist our brothers and sisters in Christ with whatever they might need. Also, some of it's for ourselves, right? So we call them the petitions sometimes. And then after that, we really shift gears. So on Sunday, what you see is I will go up there and start getting things ready on the altar, okay? And then at some point, someone usually is going to bring up some stuff from the back, and that stuff they're bringing from the back is unleavened bread and wine that'll be used uh, here in just a minute. And then we say some prayers that you can't usually hear because they're singing something, and that part of Mass is called the offertory. And it's a part that a lot of Catholics don't know um, enough about. And it's one of the things that I talk about a lot because it's actually a really powerful part because that's when we take our own prayers, our own needs, our own challenges, thanksgiving, whatever, and like we put it up there too. Like we obviously don't actually go up and put a piece of paper with it written on there, but like the way I think of it is I visualize in my mind taking these things and putting up there next to where we set the bread and wine. Um, because those are the things, um, when they're placed on the altar, those are the things we offer to God. Um, and so this is where we make that shift from hearing about God's action in history to making this sacrificial offering to the Lord. So we, we give him our prayers, thoughts, words, actions, things like that along with the bread and wine, okay? And we offer it back to him. And this is where it becomes that communal meal that we see in so many of those other traditions of worship of their, even the pagan gods have those, those traditions, right? They would slaughter the big uh, animal and roast it and they'd give the choice portion uh, to the, the pagan idol, right? Except for us, it works a little differently, right? We're not killing someone. Um, that already happened. Uh, Jesus died on the cross. Um, but what we're doing is we're offering back to God the gifts he's given us and uniting it with what he did on the cross. Okay. Um, and if this isn't making a whole lot of sense, that's okay. Just keep coming. <laughs> you'll, you'll get there or you'll just be like all the other Catholics who are like, yeah, I know what it is. I could tell you, but it's kind of weird. That's okay. Um, I'll spend a whole class probably on the Eucharist later, um, but the Eucharist is what we call the bread and wine after they have been transformed into the body and blood of Christ. So we believe as Catholics like I said, anything we take on that altar and put on that altar is offered back to God. And so bread and wine are fruits of the earth, um, you know, made from wheat and grapes that God gave us. And we put them on there and we ask for God to come 
in his presence to take these gifts to himself and he transformed them into his body and blood. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll have a whole class on this because um, it's kind of one of the big deals. All right. Um, and today I'm mostly talking about prayer. Um, then after that, we give everybody the Eucharist. So we, we usually give just the body of Christ, but it's also all of Christ. So it's everything. And again, I'll talk about this in the class on the Eucharist. Um, and that's when the communal meal really becomes, um, visible, right? Cause we're all actually eating something, <laughs> you know? Um, and so we offer the sacrifice to God. We join in a meal together. Um, so it's a sacrificial banquet and that's what mass is. And that's how worship takes place. Um, you have to have kind of both of those elements for it to happen. Um, and then after communion, so that's when everybody receives the Eucharist, um, we actually get out of here pretty quick. You know, we clean up up there, <laughs> um, say a couple short more prayers, and then we say, go forth. The mass has ended. And um, there's usually a recessional hymn. And some people don't stay for that part because they're anxious to get out because, you know, heaven forbid they spend an hour with God every week. Sorry, I get frustrated by these things. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we leave really quickly after communion um, because... Half of the point is we receive Jesus into our hearts and then we take him out into the world. Um, so that's kind of the structure of mass and what goes on at it. And like I said, I'll have another one where I dig more into the Eucharist and all of that good stuff. Um, but it's important. So a lot of people wonder why is mass important? Why should I go? Um, I found a random website that had lots of great quotes from saints. I'm giving you all the quotes from saints today. Last time it was quotes from the boring book. This time it's quotes from the cool saints. Um, so St. John Vianney said, if we really understood the mass, we would die of joy. And the reason he said that is because at mass, we get to receive God himself. And that's pretty awesome. Um, and if we really quite grasp what was going on, yeah, it would be overwhelming. Um, let's see. Uh, St. Padre Pio said, it would be easier for the world to survive without the sun than to do so without the Holy Mass. Um, so, like, everything on this earth needs the sun to grow, right? If the sun blinked out of existence, one, it would be really interesting from a gravitational standpoint. And the only reason I say that is because there's an engineer still in the back of my head that finds that stuff fascinating. Like what would happen if the sun just disappeared? Well, in eight and a half minutes, we'd stop going around in circles and we just fly off in a straight line. And that would be interesting. And then it would get really cold and everything would die. And that's probably not good. So anyways, like I said, the engineer in the back of my head, but, um, yeah, so the sun gives life to everything physical on earth. Um, and so what St. Padre Pio is saying is that the mass is like the sun and that it gives spiritual life to everything on earth. And um, there's this, basically every philosopher ever in the history of anything until about 
the 17 or 1800s would consider the spiritual side of things to be what's more real um, because it exists more fully on the spiritual side. Um, let's see what else we got. Do, do, do. It was really late when I wrote this. Let's see. So, yeah. Yeah, those are the good quotes for today. I, um, yesterday, so yesterday I got a phone call from one of the hospital chaplains at Wesley about that parishioner I mentioned earlier to go visit. And so I was going to work on this and instead I visited her and that's what I'm supposed to do. And it was really great. But the quotes looked better last night at like 1030 when I was putting this together than they do now. So I'll just send them to you guys. Um, but basically the reason mass is important is because it allows us to encounter God in a very real way. Um, and it fills us with his love. Um, even if we can't receive the Eucharist, he still pours his love into us. And so for Catholics, Mass is required on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. Um, a lot of people think that receiving the Eucharist is required. It's not. It's going to Mass, which means that just going to Mass is something that is extraordinarily helpful to us because the way I like to think of it is when we come to Mass, what we're doing is we're allowing God to love us in the way he wants to. Um, and so he's going to just pour out um, his gifts upon us when we kind of open ourselves to that attendance at Mass. Um, and also, it's what kind of brings us together as one faith. Um, so people who, who don't come to mass, like, and they call themselves Catholic, it's kind of a struggle for me because it's like, you're not doing like the one thing that brings us all together. And so, so it is, um, it's that thing that unites us and brings us together as one. Um, and like I said, or like you guys said, I think you've all been to mass before, so I don't really think I need to go into what to do when you go uh, stand, sit, kneel, when other people stand, sit, kneel, okay? <laughs> like, um, and uh, when we uh, get closer to Easter, um, we'll go over how to go to communion and things like that. Um, it's not hard, but it's something you want to go over, <laughs> okay? Because um, I can tell. <laughs> people come up, they're like, it's like, are you Catholic? Okay, God bless you. Have a nice day. You know, I've had that conversation a lot of times. And because you can just tell people come up and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, it's okay, don't worry. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, I go down too many rabbit holes. Um, okay, so the last, no, not the last thing. Um, the second to last topic is Sunday. And, um, so Sunday is important because it's the day of the resurrection, okay? That's it. That's the whole reason Sunday is important, because Sunday is the day the Lord rose. He died on Friday and rose on Sunday. And so Sunday is the day of resurrection. Um, you'll hear it referred to sometimes as the eighth day of creation. 
right? So on the first six days, God created. On the seventh day, God rests. But on the eighth day, he rose. Okay. Um, so eighth day books over on Douglas, which is a really great place to go. It's run by the Orthodox, um, by a, an Eastern Orthodox guy. He's a great guy. Um, like really, he's a great guy and his shop is great. But that's where that name for that store comes from is eighth day books is he's literally referring to the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and he's referring to Sunday and, you know, it's a good thing they're closed on Sunday, but it's a little ironic, you know, <laughs> um, <clears throat> at least in my head, that's funny. Um, you know, so, so Sunday's important because it's the day that the Lord rose. And so that's the day that we come together as Christians to celebrate that the Lord rose. Um, and so, like I mentioned, the church requires us to go to mass on Sunday. And a lot of people don't really love that the church requires them to come to mass. They're like, well, I should want to come to mass. And I actually kind of agree, right? Like you should want to come to mass, but you don't always, right? Even me, sometimes there's days like I get up and I'm like, okay, here we go. All right. Um, it's okay for us to have requirements. It's okay for us to do something out of a concept of duty. There's nothing wrong with that. There's lots of things we do because it's just what we're supposed to do, right? Um, and as human beings, we understand that. And so it's just something the church says, you're supposed to do this and we'd love it if you enjoy it, but even if you don't enjoy it, it's gonna be good for you, right? Um, like, um, I think of, and I use this analogy a lot of times with confession, but it also works with mass. Okay. When we learned how to ride a bike, we fell and we scraped our knee and pretty much everybody I know who learned how to ride a bike fell and scraped their knee at some point. And if your mom is anything like my mom, she poured that peroxide junk all over it and it hurt like hell. All right. I didn't like it, but it was good for me. And then there was a band aid, and things got better. Right. Um, I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying going to mass is like getting peroxide poured on a cut. I hope it's more pleasant than that, <laughs> but it's just something we do and it's good for us. And if we give it time and, and, and just give it a chance, it helps us to grow and it helps us to be happier. Um, so yeah. That's that part. Um, the last thing I was gonna mention today is what's a catechumen. A catechumen is someone who um, has asked the church and basically just said, hey, I wanna become a part of the church. And we say, okay, sounds great. Um, people officially become catechumens after the rite of acceptance. Um, and so that's why I'm meeting with you guys to get that information and stuff um, so we can get stuff lined up for that. Um, you will need a sponsor. Okay, so if you haven't thought of one, think of a Catholic you know who you'd like to be your sponsor. And essentially a sponsor is um, kind of like a godparent, um, except for, you know, people who are older than seven. Um, you have godparents before the age of seven, because that's when we do baptisms. Um, that's a whole nother topic. Anyways, the age of seven is when we generally consider kids to be smart enough to choose from right and wrong and to actually know they're choosing from right and wrong. Um, 
before that, uh, we'll baptize them as long as their parents want them baptized. And that's turned out really interesting for me a couple of times. I had a four or a five-year-old once who was not a big fan of getting baptized, but we baptized him anyway. <laughs> um, but um, once you hit that age of seven, uh, you go through this process and um, you'd have a sponsor, so um, a Catholic um, who's basically just willing to walk with you on this journey into the church. Um, once someone becomes a catechumen, because they're in a formal, formal relationship with the church, um, that doesn't mean they have to get baptized and everything, but it does mean that since you said you're interested and we said, sounds good, we have a responsibility to you now. So someone who is a catechumen has rights within the church. Um, if something were to happen and you had to go to the hospital and it was not looking good, um, you call me and I come and I baptize, confirm you right there, right? Like that's what happens. I don't want that to happen to any of you, but it has happened and I have done it. Um, we had a guy in RCI at my last parish and he was diagnosed with cancer and it wasn't looking good. So I went and I gave him all his sacraments a couple months early. Um, so there's a shortcut approach. I don't recommend it, <laughs> okay? Um, but, um, but things like that, that like essentially we're here for you when you need us. Um, and like, I think that's really important is when you guys say you wanna be a part of the church, we'll extend you every courtesy that we can um, on behalf of the church. So um, we, put our, we put the skin in the game, so to speak. Um, so that's what being a catechumen is though, is essentially officially saying you wanna join and us acknowledging that and then extending um, the, the, the service and courtesy that we give to anybody else in the church. So.